Welcome, my love, to the Living for Christ podcast. I'm your host, Anastasia, aka Anna Empowers, here to more deeply understand with you the rich fullness of God. Because when you understand your creator, you understand his creation, yourself, his world, all that he designed for you to be. God led me out of self-sabotage and insecurity and the new age deception by breaking chains that bound me to my past. And that is my mission here today with you to help you in him and in him alone break chains that bind you to your past, break chains of shame, of insecurity, of self-sabotage in him. So together we can be humbled and surrender to his glorious love and unleash the gifts that he willed for us to bring into his world for him and his glory, not for ourselves. He wants to guide you. He wants to pour into you. He wants to heal you like he's healed so many aspects of my life. When I didn't even seek him at first, God is so good, so patient, so perfectly loving. On this podcast, you'll receive inspiring stories and experiences and mistakes I've made all along the way, plus the unique perspectives of thought leaders on faith-based life and faith-based business so that you can amplify your faith in God's work in your own life. God wants you to store the unique gifts, talents, and ideas that he gave you. He sanctifies and clarifies your unique design the more you come to know and walk with him. God is the strength that I lean on every day to be made into a better steward, servant, wife, and woman for his glory. I'm so freaking excited to welcome Morgan here today. She is a relationship coach focused on breaking you out of a toxic relationship cycle, especially narcissistic relationships and other toxic relationships, and helping you learn to become an energetic match for healthy relationships, for healthy love. So welcome, Morgan. Any Anything else I missed? Anything you want to share about who you are, your story, kind of a little bit of your backgrounds? Yeah, absolutely, Anastasia. Thank you so much for having me on. I've been so psyched to have this conversation with you. You and I just totally hit it off the other day, and um, I know that we're going to have a lot to bring to the table. So I am a relationship coach um, specializing in in helping women break free of the toxic relationship cycle and really healing that relationship to ourselves and taking responsibility for ourselves in order to attract healthier relationship. And um, I've been doing this since 2019. And it's really just the the passion that I love to bring to the world because I fully believe, you know, we're we're making a ripple effect. Uh, Every time we heal, every time I heal, every time one of my clients heals, they're healing all sorts of relationships that are in close proximity to them and even not close proximity to them. I love that. I love that outlook. I had a conversation with a therapist of mine once who we were talking about family relationships mm-hmm. and how when one person in a family heals, it tends to have, she said, a wind chime effect, which I love. So like <laughs> one good. of the chimes is, what's it called? A chime? One of yeah. the pieces of the wind chime moves. And so as a result, obviously, they're all going to move in unison. And I love that analogy and that approach to like solving the problems of the world. We have so much power in our own two hands just by what we do within ourselves. 
Oh, that just gave me goosebumps. And it's so true. I can honestly say my relationship with my family is so much better than it's ever been. And it wasn't because they changed. It was because I changed. And then I started interacting with them differently and the triggers were different. And so, you know, everything started to heal and it all came from the internal work that that I've been doing. So it really is, it, it goes to show that one person really can have that, that wind chime effect or the domino effect. Mm, Beautiful. I relate to that so deeply as well. What is some of that inner work that you have been doing that you feel like has really impacted your life the most? Mm, I would say when I struggled with codependency and love addiction and toxic relationships, I had no idea where it was stemming from. I would always, I, I was very much a victim to my circumstances, a victim to my life. And I blamed everyone around me, all the men that I was uh, being in relationships with. And I remember saying to myself, I'm like, how the heck do I keep being with the same person? How do I keep having this, this experience? Why do I keep getting cheated on? Why do I keep having, you know, people who mistreat me? And so one of the biggest things was like being able to understand where my relationships were, were coming from. It wasn't by accident that this was happening. It was that I subconsciously had these patterns that were stemming from, from my childhood that made these relationships extremely familiar to me. And so we, we subconsciously go after what's familiar to us. And the way that I, um, that I teach this to my clients is when we experience trauma in childhood, no matter how big or small, sometimes we don't even recognize that we did experience trauma, but, um, when we do experience that it disrupts the, the way that we perceive ourselves, the formation of our identity and our subconscious will then seek out people and experiences that, that mirror what we had gone through or how we had felt. And so those people that you continue to find yourself with, um, they typically resemble the parent that you had the most turmoil with. And so that's why it feels so familiar. If you've been with somebody who, uh, you know, you feel like you've known them your whole life and, you know, things move really, really quickly. It's because it feels like you've known them your whole life because they raised you, (laughs) you know what I mean? And so doing that internal work of, of looking at the patterns, I'm also, um, certified in internal, internal family systems therapy. And so being able to identify those patterns, Inner child work is a huge piece of of what I do and what was transformational for myself Um, and really being able to soothe and regulate my nervous system. Mm. So much gold in what you just said. Oh my gosh, (laughs) I don't even know where to start. I think what stuck out to me is the self-concept piece. That your self-concept is really formed in those early childhood years, especially in those years prior to age five or seven, when you have what's called an egocentric worldview. It sounds like you're familiar with this. The egocentric worldview where literally in that state of psychological development, the world revolves around you and everything external is a result of you. So yes. if mom is sad, it's because I'm I'm bad, I made her sad. If yeah. mom is happy, I'm the light of her life, you know, and it's not just mom, right? It's anything external. So with that, there's so much self-image issues that develop 
in that early life. And even if you have like the best parents in the world, right? We're all imperfect humans. And there's a guarantee that you had some piece of your upbringing where there was one moment, one or two moments, your mom snapped at you and you could have internalized that to mean, oh, I shouldn't use my voice. I shouldn't ask for things. It's these simple things. A lot of people who come to me don't necessarily have like deep rooted capital T trauma. They have these smaller emotional wounds that then still manifest as really unhealthy patterns or really unhealthy addictions or cravings or self-sabotage patterns that they can't seem to shake, even though they have all the self-awareness of, oh, I think I know where this comes from. But it's more, it's deeper than self-awareness. It's like you said, it's nervous system work. It's subconscious work. Conscious understanding of it isn't really going to help us shake it necessarily. It's a good start to know kind of where to go, where to hone in on the rest. But it's not the, the healing step. So it sounds like you've done a lot of inner child work with like that subconscious inner child image, as well as some nervous system work, which is beautiful. What kind of inner child work approaches do you gravitate towards? What does that look like for you? I really love being able to get connected with that inner child and being able to communicate with that inner child whenever, um, you know, we're feeling triggered or we're feeling sad or upset. A lot of the times we are really focused on kind of invalidating it and trying to push it away, trying to get away from it. And what I really love to do is connect with that inner child and say, what is it that you need right now? I'm so sorry that you're feeling this way because how many times were we told in childhood to stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about or saying, oh, that's not a big deal. You shouldn't be upset about that. And then we learn to not trust ourselves and to invalidate our own feelings and not think that they're important. And so we're trying, we're really reparenting ourselves in these moments. And so getting in touch with that inner child through meditation through journaling practices and even through play. I am such a playful person. I'm so carefree. I I truly believe, I think we all, um, you know, we are all in our uh, homeostasis state, our natural state are playful and childlike, but we get very disconnected from that through all of the conditions that have been put on us. So even just playing and doing things that really ignite your inner child, like finger painting or, you know, just laughing, playing with your dog, these, these little moments mean everything. And so one of my favorite um, practices to do with myself and with my clients is getting in touch with the inner child through a meditation. And so picturing that inner child in front of you and being able to stroke her hair, ask her what she needs and really let her um, communicate with you. And by the end of that meditation, usually everyone feels um, it, it can be intense. It can be sad. It can be a bit triggering at first, but at the end, normally um, what you experience is just feelings of peace and comfort and feeling nurtured and nourished. And that's just such a a beautiful feeling. And and we really notice how it gets us out of that fight or flight mode. Yeah, that's beautiful. I just ran a program called Nurture, which is an inner child intensive. That's funny that you said that word. And on the other side, I, I spoke about how at the not even at the end, but like the more you do this inner child work, because there's not really an end, right? Right. <laughs> with with a significant amount of inner child work, you'll start to notice this play, this joy, what Jung calls the divine child archetype, 
come up naturally, right? It's not something you have to force, something you have to like push within yourself. It's the most, like you said, the most natural part of us, this inner divinity, this like spark of the divine, our soul, our essence is the most natural part of us. And it's the conditioning. It's the stuff we take on through our life, our wounding that blocks the most natural part of us. So once we start to nurture our inner child out of that wounding, once we start meeting her needs and reparenting and meeting her different needs, right? There are some needs for like some structure, some balance, as well as play. There is some needs for emotional nurturing and unconditional love, as well as like a healthy challenge, right? You're a parent, so I'm sure you can speak on this more (laughs) than I ever could because you had the privilege of raising a beautiful physical child. And I wonder how your inner child work has connected with your parenting out in the world. Absolutely. So what I noticed when I really started um, putting into practice this inner child work and really healing myself, my relationship with my daughter has never been better. And she's never been happier because when we struggle with our inner child, when we have so much inner child wounding, our children are the first ones that will bring that out in us, that and our parents. And so our children will reflect, you know, the ways that that we were hurt when we were children. And so if your child has really big emotions, which all of them do, that will trigger you. If your emotions were shut down, nobody nurtured them. uh, You know, you were told that you weren't allowed to have them essentially, then that can be really triggering for you. And then you shut down in those moments. And that used to be me. And that was, you know, it's, it's really hard to look at that now. And there's a lot of self-forgiveness to be done. Um, and something that I've been working on because now, you know, as I do know these things, I see how that has impacted my daughter, but now it's like, she'll have really big emotions. I remember this one time she was, um, she was yelling at me and she was trying to find all of these ways to, to hurt me with her words, just ways that she knew that would hurt my feelings. And I told her instead of telling her, go to your room or you're not allowed to say those things you need, you know, whatever the case may be a timeout. Um, I was just like, Brooke, you can say all of these things to me and I will sit here and I will still love you. And every mean thing that you say to me, I'm going to tell you something that I love about you. And the thing is that doesn't happen every time, (laughs) but, um, that was a really powerful moment between me and her. And it was very healing for the both of us. And within just a couple of minutes, she started to laugh and we started hugging. And that was something that, that I wish that I would have gotten when I was younger. And so, you know, we can start to heal our inner child child through parenting our child the way that we wish we were when we were younger. So we can use that as an opportunity to either shut down or face it head on and say, okay, how can, can we do things differently? That is such a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. My inner child got a little bit of healing from just like hearing (laughs) you say those words that I also wish were said to me at that staging my life with big emotions, which I still have. I love my big emotions, but (laughs) definitely took a while to get here, like with my own healing. Um, But I was also wondering how this inner child work translates into your relationships and into relationships in general, because part of what I taught in nurture was also 
navigating other people's triggers, other people's inner children coming out, because what I find is nine times out of 10, maybe even more so, maybe almost 100% of the time, <laughs> a trigger is an inner child wound opened. So when somebody's acting triggered or when somebody is really hurt or disproportionately reacting to something, it's usually their inner child, you know, having unmet needs and those are coming out. So we went through some practices of like how to deal with somebody else in that situation. But one thing that I noticed is the more inner work I do, it's like a preventative measure. It's like the more inner work I do, the less triggered I get, like the more just chill and happy I am in life. And the more that divine spark shines more and more brighter and brighter, as well as the less like other people's stuff bothers me. And we can talk forever about how other people's like triggered behavior triggers their own stuff and all this. And so one of the most powerful things I found with almost like nurturing another person's inner child in that moment, in that opportunity, is that not only are you healing them in a way like giving offering them that piece of healing they can reject it but offering them that piece of healing but also when we give somebody else that compassion that love that that wounded part of us desires it also leaves an imprint on our own subconscious it also heals that little piece of our wound as well that's being reflected and triggered back in us so i I would love for you to speak on this in the context of relationships (laughs) absolutely yeah you said that beautifully um what I actually just did a masterclass on healing the rejection and abandonment wound. And what I was talking about was the little, the, the, um, little girl, the wounded little girl, her behaviors, because a lot of the time the wounded little girl behaviors, um, you know, we have those as adults. It's the way we're reacting to somebody when we get triggered. And so I, I made a comment. I was like, they feel very immature because that's you reverting right back to either your wounded little girl or your wounded teenager. And so I always, um, I encourage my clients, like you said, it's like, it's, it's mostly about the being proactive rather than reactive. So if you are consistently, um, you know, working on healing your inner child, meeting your own needs, regulating your nervous system, then you're actually able to be a safe space for somebody else and their emotions. And in relationship, you're dealing with two inner childs, two egos, um, you know, other people's schedules, and there's going to be friction inevitably in relationship, in all relationship, there's such thing as healthy conflict. And if we can feel that trigger and say you're, you're in an argument or, you know, somebody triggered your partner triggered you or somebody that you're dating triggered you. And instead of reacting in the first way of being passive aggressive or saying um, something you don't mean or, you know, doing something to make them jealous. If you could sit with that feeling and say, wow, I'm feeling really triggered right now. And you don't have to do this out loud. You can do this in your head, but I'm feeling really triggered right now. This is what I want to do. Where is this coming from? And then telling yourself, well, if I do this behavior, then they're going to react. It's going to make them feel threatened but I don't want to do that this time. So how can I just be a safe space for them? And when you can create a safe space for them, you'll notice that they'll start to soften as well. But if two people are going at each other's throats, it's really hard um, to, to diffuse that situation. But if you can hold somebody's big emotions, you know, men really crave to feel safe. They were, they were raised to not feel their emotions, to not cry. They were told, you know, men don't cry. Boys don't cry. Stop being a wuss. And so they really value feeling safe with a woman. And if a woman can feel safe, 
feeling her own emotions and having her own emotions, then a man will naturally feel safe having his and being able to come to her with them. And obviously if it was ever abusive or toxic, then I would say, no, you know, get, get out of that situation. But, um, in when we're looking to have healthier relationships and we're kind of moving away from that toxicity, having those kind of interactions, we need to learn how to have them and to feel safe having them. Right. That was absolutely, absolutely beautiful. I I see it as like being a soft place to land for somebody. So for a man to see you as a safe place, a soft place to land and vice versa. I noticed in my marriage, because of that history you talked about where he was discouraged from feeling especially negative emotions. He comes from a big, big, boisterous, beautiful family. And they're all very, I would say jolly is the word. (laughs) They're all very exuberant (laughs) and happy all the time. They drink a lot. They celebrate a lot. Like that's that kind of family. And the flip side is they don't really welcome negative emotions. They don't welcome sadness, anger, disappointment, stiff upper lip sort of family, but with like the warmest celebratory hearts. So being brought up in that environment and then also going through a lot of trauma as a teenager, he really bottled up all his negative emotions, his grief, things of that nature. And as a result, he walks around with this belief, and I think we're chipping away at it a little bit, but generally speaking, he walks around with this belief of, I'm not supposed to feel or display or rather even burden somebody else with my emotions. Yeah. So then when I present my emotions, because I'm very comfortable feeling my <laughs> big emotions and expressing them and all of this, I think that belief feels threatened. Yeah. And there's this like tug of war within him between I care about her, I love her, I want to give her love and care. And shouldn't she's an adult, she shouldn't handle this by herself. It's like yeah. I can see this conflict within him. So the more we nurture in our child and we give her what she needs and we, I would even say, neutralize big emotions through unconditional love. So when they do come yeah. up, the first thing that is most helpful, whether for someone else or for yourself, is that unconditional love and acceptance that you talked about so beautifully of this is okay. It's okay for this to come up. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's a difference between it being okay to come up and you taking it out on someone else. But right. I think we understand that it's more about feeling it right. And accepting that and embracing that. And the more we practice that within ourselves, the more we can give other people permission to bring that to us. And we are communicating that soft place to land in also how we treat ourselves. Yeah. I love that you said basically giving them permission because when we're in it, they do. They feel like they have permission. Like if we, we kind of go first and then everybody else responds around us. And so by us simply allowing ourselves to feel safe, giving them a safe space, they're slowly going to open up and they might not even know what's happening. Um, in my past relationship, my, uh, my ex-boyfriend, he very much was the same as your, your husband and would bottle up his emotions and, um, only focused on, on the positive. And he didn't realize until, you know, we started talking about it and I was such a safe space for him. He was like, it's so weird for me to not be yelled at for what I'm struggling with or for the way that I'm, I'm doing things or for not showing my emotion as much. It's, it's so weird that I can talk to you about these things and feel safe doing that. And I've never felt that before. And so it's literally just because I feel safe within me that he felt safe within me. And that was just a really 
powerful example of how we can just be that, that wind chime effect, that, um, that ripple effect, right? Beautiful. Yes, absolutely. I feel like this is a perfect segue into something I've been thinking about a lot lately. So on the tail end, my last call in my nurture program, my inner child intensive, I really felt called to speak on healthy independence versus the hyper-independence wound. Mm -hmm. That's one wound I see a lot, especially in women. I do too. (laughs) And the codependence wounding, which is a little bit different, but oftentimes related, oftentimes I see the same wounding, hyper-independence and codependence in the same women versus like a healthy interdependence. So I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I'd love to hear your perspective first. Yes, this is like what I love to talk about because I have struggled with both. I've been on both ends of the spectrum and I work with women who are on both ends of the spectrum. And what I tend to see a lot of is they will go from being very codependent to shutting themselves off completely and becoming hyper independent and vice versa. And so um, I would say that when it comes to codependency, that's where you really abandon yourself for somebody else. You rely on that other person. You kind of morph into what they want you to be or what they need you to be. You lose yourself in that relationship. Um, it's like you lack your your own identity and you're unsure of your wants, your needs, what you want or need from them. And there's also with codependence, I see a lot of manipulation and obviously it's not intentional most of the time, but the manipulation of if I do this for you, I'm over giving to you, I'm overextending for you so that I don't get rejected so that I get the love that I need from you. And so I see a lot of that and that's where, you know, we lose our identity. And then with hyper independence, it's like, I don't need anything from anybody. I don't want to, I don't want to lose myself in a relationship. I'm, I'm over here. There's me. And then there's no room for me to rely on anybody else. And they're both coming out of trying to protect our, that, that rejection and abandonment wound. That's what I see is they're both trying to protect that wound of, I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to get rejected. I don't want to abandon or I don't want to get abandoned. So I'm either going to overgive and overdo and lose myself, or I'm going to be so disconnected from you that I don't have to open up my heart and, and get hurt. And when we do that, we are, it's kind of like we're, we have one foot in and one foot out and we are living this life of, I'm going to, I'm going to give a little less just in case, or I'm not going to have enough of myself just in case. And when it comes to that healthy interdependence, it's safe for you to get your needs met by your partner, but not have them meet all of your needs. A lot of what I see is kind of like a misconception is when you get in this relationship, all of your problems are going to go away. Everything that you ever struggled with, they're just going to save you from all the pain that you've ever experienced. And that is just not the case. (laughs) You know, if anything, you're going to be triggered a lot in that relationship and it's going to force you to look at it. They're going to be a mirror for you. And so um, when you're struggling with codependency, it's important to meet your own needs first and what your partner gives you. Of course, we need to have standards and boundaries, um, which is important for people that struggle with codependency because they don't have those. Um, They're either really watery in their boundaries or they don't have any to begin with. And they're just willing to accept whatever treatment because it's better than being alone. But um, it's important to be able to recognize 
what your needs are, what your wants are, who you are, what makes you happy, what makes you not happy, and being able to meet your own needs first, get them met by your friends, your family, other, you know, your pets, and then also being able to have your partner meet some of your needs as well. Because when we think about it, it's like, we put so much pressure on our partners or potential partners to pick up the slack. And we're asking them to do for us what we're not even doing for ourselves. And so we're saying, you need to treat me with respect. You need to prioritize me. You need to meet all my needs while I'm over here doing none of those things for me. And so at the moment you are put on that pedestal, you're going to feel all that pressure and it's going to cause a break in the relationship. It's going to cause a lot of fights. It's going to chase them away. And, um, and so that's where we have to look at. They are an equal part to you. They are giving to you. Yes, they're meeting your needs, but it, you're not so dependent on them because if they do leave, if you guys do break up, then your life is not obliterated. You know, you still have your sense of self. That doesn't mean that it won't hurt terribly, but um, you will still have a sense of self. And then with the hyper independence, um, really like there's, there's not a lot of connection there. There's the people that, you know, you, you go out on a few dates, you're really not feeling it with that person because the, the woman doesn't feel connected with herself. She's mostly concerned about protecting her heart, putting those big walls around her heart um, and not letting anybody in. And so she's not sharing the things that make her her. A lot of the times what I see, you know, I work with a lot of professional women and so they use their business as that, that armor of, okay, I'm only going to talk about business and I'm only going to talk about my work. And, um, and then they can't really get connected to their heart. They're not asking for help. They're not, um, allowing somebody to be there for them because that is vulnerable. And the last time they were vulnerable, in childhood, they were hurt deeply. They were told that they weren't allowed to show their emotions. They weren't allowed to, um, you know, if they relied on somebody, then inevitably they, they were pained by that. So they've learned, nope, I'm just going to be by myself. I'm comfortable here. If I open up my heart, then somebody's going to do something and it's going to hurt me. And then, you know, I'm going to have to deal with it all over again. And so for, for people who struggle with hyper-independence, it's all about getting very comfortable with feeling their feelings and actually confronting their feelings and facing them head on and being with them instead of avoiding them, pushing them off, working them away. And so uh, I would say for, for healing that, it's like we have to first recognize that no matter what happens, if we open up our heart, if we start to share things with somebody, regardless of if it works out or if it doesn't work out, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And yes, that's going to hurt, but it's also going to help you heal old wounds by, by being confronted with it yet again. And, um, start slowly by asking friends for help, your family for help, or, you know, just allowing people to get in and get close with you. And you can start doing that with, um, I see a lot of the time people are even, even keeping friends at arm's length. And so we have to start looking at what are some baby steps I can take? Because if we just, you know, rip off the armor and we don't feel safe, we're going to self-sabotage. Um, 
we're not going to feel safe doing that. So it's like taking those baby steps to allow somebody to be in and recognize, you know what, I've been through a lot and I'm still here and I know that I'm going to be okay no matter what. Oh, this is absolute gold, Morgan. I love oh, thank this. You. <laughs> I love this. Oh my gosh, I have so much to say on this topic. I think the key word that stuck out for me is comfort. Mm-hmm. These, and especially the hyper-independence movement, but really both of them are coming out of the search for what's comfort, of comfortable and familiar yet again, like what you talked about with seeking out certain types of partners over and over again. It's what's familiar, what's comfortable. And it's because when our inner child wounds are on display, even if it's like we're not realizing it, when our inner child wounds are bleeding into our lives, they're not stitched up, we're not recognizing them, we're not nurturing our inner child, the inner child tries to get its needs met on her own. Yeah. Right. She just tries to come out and drive the bus the best she can, and she's not equipped to do it. And it looks like a mess. It looks yep. like self sabotage. <laughs> it looks like codependent patterns. All these things are the inner child trying to get her needs met, trying to get her wounds healed on her own, and she doesn't know how. So that's why when we come in as adults and we do that reparenting work, so much of this dies down because we are meeting her needs. And what I found with hyper independence and co independence and that whole thing is. The more we meet her needs and really take that radical responsibility that you beautifully talked about, taking our life into our own hands, our needs into our own hands, the more we can come at support and help from a place of desire rather than need and desperation. So that need and desperation energy is that codependent energy. I need my needs fulfilled by someone else because not like I'm not filling them myself. They're not being met. Someone needs to meet them. Maybe this Prince Charming over here is going to meet all of them. And what I found for me is actually really interesting. I would start in this codependent pattern, right? Lose myself in a relationship, seek to get all those needs met. And when they would disappoint, because inevitably they're not, they're not my father. They're not my mother. They can't, they also just can't know a single person like you pointed out beautifully can meet all my needs, right? We're supposed to kind of diversify our support system. So when they inevitably couldn't meet all my childhood needs, when they didn't parent me like I wanted them to, (laughs) they didn't know they even had to take on that job, I would switch into sabotage and hyper-independence. I would push away. I would do what you said, that one foot in, one foot out pattern where like, I desperately wanted to get my needs met by them. And then when I get hurt, I push away and push, pull, push, pull. And what really helped for me is that, okay, you know what? He doesn't need to meet any of my needs. And then I would ask for support in a different way. I would desire things from him in a different way. It was this desire and it was this, it's okay to say no energy, which is what takes the pressure off, the obligation off. How many times have you needed to do something, quote unquote, out of obligation, and you dreaded it because it's this obligatory energy, this, and not even in a relationship, like in school growing up, whatever it is, obligation kills the joy, kills the romance in a relationship. Like it's just, just not sexy. <laughs> You're so spot on with that. So spot on. I see that all the time. It's like, you know, when you need something from somebody energetically, you're causing resistance. Somebody is, and it's not even subconscious or it's not even conscious a lot of the time, but you are creating that friction. If you're like, I need this, if you need it, you're going to give that desperate energy. But if you are meeting it yourself, somebody will will inevitably want to come close to you because you are vibrating at that unattached level. Yeah, I love that. I love that. The other thing I found with 
kind of vibratory matches is people meet you in your expectations of them. That's the other thing. So when I came from this neediness place and I I don't even think I put my husband on a pedestal. I feel like it was this really weird place where I needed him, but I was certain he'd let me down. It's that hyper-independence wound, but then like with a codependent twist. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted him to meet my needs. I like desperately needed him to meet my needs, but knew that inevitably he would let me down. I was expecting him to. And probably there's a lot of factors in why that would play out. But one of them I think is I sabotaged myself. Like I probably made it really hard for him to meet my needs. But part of it is that expectation element. And what I realized is once we like figure our own stuff out and we then have the capability because we see ourselves in a more beautiful light. We have the capability to see others in their brilliance. Once we bring that into any relationship, family, romantic, whatever, they will either meet us there and start behaving accordingly or they will fall away. And what I found like the psychological reason, there's the energetic reason, the psychological reason I found is that there's a worth mismatch. If they see themselves as unworthy, if they see, if they have a low self-worth and yet you communicate that they're brilliant or what have you, you treat them accordingly, they will either start to shift their worth or they will feel like such a mismatch with that energy that they they have to run away because it's just amplifying the critical feelings and thoughts in their in themselves. So I found that to be so helpful for like my relationships with my parents that have improved significantly since I did my inner work as well. But even that, like you said, when we treat them differently, when we respond to them differently, they rise to meet us there. Yeah, I love that. And it's so true when we do expect somebody to just, you know, be, um, when we expect them to be that certain way, but if we're expecting them to disappoint us, then they're going to energetically feel that. And it's like, well, she already thinks I'm going to disappoint her might as well, you know, disappoint her. And again, that's subconscious, but if we really allow somebody to rise to the occasion and we're not attached to it, we're not trying to change them. We're not trying to force them to be something they're not, but we love and respect ourselves. And so we have these high standards, then again, you're right. They'll, they'll either raise to, to meet us or they will fall away because it's not going to be an energetic match otherwise. And that's the beautiful place is like when we start to treat ourselves that way. When we start to meet our own needs and we start to value ourselves, we automatically raise our worth in somebody else's eyes and they will want to treat us accordingly most of the time. Or if they're not a healthy person, then again, they'll leave. So what I realized in that energetic match too is again, that need of desperation or that energy of desperation need versus desire. So when I took that pressure off my husband, even this morning, like he wrote me a cute note and put it on my bedside table. A couple days ago, he brought me flowers from the grocery store randomly, like these things that I, I'm going to cry. I only dreamed of. Yeah for so many years and never received and I never thought I would receive it from from him like he wasn't raised in a romantic household his parents had the most beautiful relationship but there wasn't like this wooing this dating of my spouse sort of energy my dad only did that on special occasions but even so my dad was much more of a romantic like 
Kevin's dad, my husband's dad. Yeah. So I never expected that from him. He didn't have that model growing up. But when I showed up differently, when I took care of myself and also like didn't put any of that pressure on him, he was happy to meet us there. What we have to realize, I think, is that the masculine wants to take care of us. The masculine wants to serve us. And yeah. what's even cooler is I think they take such pride and celebration in making us happy. So <laughs> when we communicate that, when we make it a, uh, oh, this will be so much fun. This will make me so happy rather than I need this from you. <laughs> exactly. It's a totally different ball game. Yes. If somebody came at us like that, and that's kind of how we have to think of things. We have to put on like a different perspective and say, okay, if somebody was coming at me and saying, you need to meet this need, you need to do this for me. It would not be hot. It wouldn't be attractive. But if, you know, we are, if we come from a place of like, somebody is just so in their magnetism and they're happy and joyous. And it's like, you know, they're just experiencing abundance. It's like somebody wants to, especially a man, a man wants to give to a, a woman and a woman is designed to receive. That's just the way it is. And so a lot of the times what I see is like women will be so shut off to receiving, but they also want to receive. So it's this very confusing energy. It's like, you know, they don't want to receive help. They don't want to receive, like if they are, say they're a potential person did something for them and they were like, oh, you didn't have to do this or whatever the case may be. I see that all the time. And, but again, you know, later down the road, when it stops happening, they're like, why aren't you doing this for me anymore? I need you to do that to make me feel good. And it, the the energy is just mismatched. And so when we can come from a place of like, I'm going to do this for myself. I feel so good. I'm receiving. It makes somebody want to give to you more. Um, what I've been playing around with uh, the, these last few weeks is like, really being in receiving energy saying I'm, I'm a magnet for receiving. I'm open to receiving. And I have received so many gifts from people. And I've been just like really strengthening that muscle. Um, I went out on a date the other day and like laughed about, um, I just moved into to my new home and I hadn't gotten a new toaster yet. And I was like laughing that I burnt my daughter's toast three times in the, in the oven on broil. And so the next day I opened my door and there's a toaster with bread on my doorstep. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so funny. I wasn't needing that from that guy. I was just playful and silly and, you know, telling a funny story, but it if I was like, oh, I need a toaster so bad, like blah, 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 blah. That would not have been the same energy. That wouldn't have made him want to get me a toaster. So, you know, it's just simple things like that of just being open and playing with your energy and allowing yourself to receive from yourself first, because that was really a main thing that I was doing was giving to myself. I was making romantic dinners for myself. I was buying myself flowers. I was giving myself foot massages and doing like oil scrubs and things like that. And so I was spoiling myself. And in turn, I got um, spoiled by other people. And it just goes to show that we are the energetic match. Like we, whoever we're being, what we're doing for ourselves is what sets the standard for the way other people treat us. Ah, oh, beautiful. Becoming our own lover first, right? <laughs> yeah, I love that. The other thing that I've been playing with is being more playful with life. It's it's going to be reflected in every part of who I am and all my relationships. But 
I've been thinking about how when we're children, everything is new and unfamiliar. That's where that curiosity all comes from. Everything is new. We're learning about our bodies, how to walk, how to operate in this world, in this vehicle called the body, how to yeah. communicate, how to speak, how to interact with like groups of people, how to do math, like everything. <laughs> we're learning the whole world completely from scratch. And so everything is new. Everything is unfamiliar. On the flip side, that's probably why structure, some structure is really important, especially for younger kids where everything is new. But regardless of that balance, now it's the exact opposite in adulthood. We really seem to value like having our stuff together, right? Being really competent in life, feeling like we know a lot and, um, are really proficient in everything we do in life rather than that beginner energy, that playful energy, that discovery, that experimentation. So as we get older, I feel like part of the definition of adulthood in society is I'm good at life. I know what I'm doing. I think that if there were a phrase for adulthood in society, it's I know what I'm doing. (laughs) So (laughs) bringing in more of the unfamiliar, like I've been taking lots of different classes, like doing lots of different things out in the world that are new, that I've never done before, taking dance classes, taking art classes, like going into new like spiritual avenues that we talked about. So that has really, not only does that help with the resilience factor of I can take on challenging things, but it really brings that play, curiosity, beginner energy back in, brings that inner child back out in a really healthy way, like childlike versus childish when we're triggered. And that's been a game changer for me of seeing life in a more lighthearted way again, like bringing that divine child out, the divine spark where life isn't so serious. I I agree a thousand percent. You know, as adults, we're creatures of habit and we get very stuck in a monotonous life. And, you know, we do what we've always done, whether that's a good thing or a not so great thing. And I do believe that we need more play in our lives. We need to approach relationships with more playfulness. We need to approach conversations with more playfulness. We need to approach dating with more playfulness because I see a lot of people complaining about dating. Oh my gosh. I I would say that that is one thing that I kind of cringe at because people are constantly saying, oh my gosh, date online dating sucks. There's no good people out there. Um, you know, everybody I attract is, I, I don't have a connection with. And the thing is, it's like, they're getting so disappointed and, um, and let down. But if we could look at it more as a game, if we can gamify it, if we can look at it as a lesson, a teacher, um, curiosity, really bringing curiosity. Oh, what was the, what was the purpose of having that date? What was the purpose of having that relationship? What was the purpose of this miscommunication? Um, how can I be more curious about it? How can I bring more play into my everyday life, but also my relationship, the way that I communicate? Because we, I think um, we kind of get a little bit lazy with that. We get too comfortable in just like getting it done, having the conversation, getting it done, doing the chores, getting it done. Um, just like you, like I, I've started to um, bring more play into my life because my life got very monotonous and um, I was getting very bored. And so 
uh, I started pole dancing classes, belly dancing, kickboxing, and you know, it is kind of intimidating at first to go to these new classes and be like the first, the, you know, the new person, but it also does, as you said, it creates resilience and it's bringing in new energy that is so necessary to kind of bring us out of that stagnation. Oh, beautiful. Yes. I remember when I was dating way back when it wasn't actually that long ago. I haven't been married for that long, but, um, in 2016-2017, I was really like dating for the first time. I was still in college and I was a serial monogamist prior to college. So can you imagine like little tiny teenage me? I was in a relationship from like age 12 to not in a single, like I was in a series of relationships from age yeah. 12 to college, so like age 18. Nutty. So like my whole developmental like um cycle what's the word that developmental period of my life this key developmental period i was always attached to someone else and very much in that codependent way so in college i was like okay i'm gonna be single for a while do this thing um, a lot of unhealthy sexual relationships however but still i did manage like being unattached romantically yeah. And then I got to this place in my life, uh, senior year of college, I think it was, starting maybe about junior year, where everything felt so good. I felt like I had hacked my life. I felt like every category was doing awesome. I was doing awesome in school. I had a beautiful community of friends. I was taking care of my body, all the things, right? Yeah. I was feeling so good. And so I decided to start dating like Tinder dates and other things like that. But like actual dates, like going out to dinner. I was living in New York City at the time, going out to dinner, like going out to get a drink, what have you. It felt so adult. It felt so Carrie Bradshaw. (laughs) (laughs) And there was zero expectation at that point because my life was so good. I had no need. Again, that obligation, the desperation was gone. It was very much just like, well, let's see, let's go meet some guys. And that was so fun. I'm also somebody, as you can tell by what we're doing right now, I love talking to people. I love learning yeah. about people. It's like my jam, hence why I coach, hence what I do, right? So it was so fun to just like meet new people and hear their stories. Sometimes it was a mess. Sometimes the guy was like 30 minutes late, didn't let me get a single word in, didn't pay for anything and left. <laughs> Rare though. Usually it was just like a, a normal guy, no spark, that's it. And most of the time it didn't go anywhere. Like I didn't sleep with any of these guys. It was just, we got a meal and all of that. So it was fun. It wasn't productive. It's not how I met my husband, but that wasn't my goal. I wasn't even, by the time my husband did come into the picture was ironically that same year because I was just in this energy, right? When I least expected it, I met him. I didn't really like him at first, but that's beside the point. That's how it goes. Yeah. I didn't really like (laughs) him at first, but um, he pursued me heavily wore me down. I realized how brilliant he is, like how smart he is. And that really attracts me always. It's the mental. Yes, me too. Yeah. So we got pretty um, like romantically connected. We started liking each other a lot. And I was like, I don't want to be in a relationship right now. Maybe we should do an open relationship. Like I'd never done an open relationship, but I was just like really scared of being tied down for the first time in my life. I was really scared of commitment, partially because all my friends were very committophobic, but partially because I did just develop this single identity. And I was afraid of getting lost in a relationship again. I was terrified. I did everything in my power to not do that again. Once we did enter that relationship, spoiler alert, I mean, we're married now. I think it's clear, but (laughs) I succeeded in that. I like learned a lot from my past codependent relationships, but there was still a little bit of that like need meeting. 
But I was yeah. so scared of entering that relationship. I like didn't want it. There was no desperation. There was no need. And that's why I believe it found me. That's why he found me at that time. Because I was in this yeah. like, I don't need a man, but not in a pushy, like pushing someone away energy. Just very much like, if it comes, it comes cool. I'm not even sure I want a relationship right now. Yeah, I think that's such a, a beautiful story and so important for everyone to hear because it's like when we least expect it, when we're unattached to the outcome, when we're needing it and we're having all these expectations of our dates and, you know, we're we're putting so much pressure out there, we're creating so much resistance. But just as you mentioned, um, when there's no expectation, when you're having fun, when you're living your life for you, that's when all resistance is subsides and it begins to come in and it's such a beautiful thing. And I think that dating is such a wonderful way to be able to learn about yourself, who you are, what you like, how you exercise your boundaries. And I think a lot of people get caught up in, um, uh, I guess what I want to say is like, snatching the first person that comes along, no matter how unaligned they are. And that's what I also see a lot of is, oh, this is, this guy is interested in me. I'm going to, you know, enter in a relationship with him very quickly, very early on, even though we're misaligned and, um, and I'm not going to date any more people. But what I believe is, we should, we should date, we should have fun. We should learn how we are in these experiences and date for a long enough time before giving commitment or accepting commitment to ensure that this person is who they say they are, who, who, if they are going to have their actions align with their words. Um, because I, a lot of what I see as well is people get into these relationships and then six months down the line, a year down the line, they are completely different. And it's because nobody took enough time to say, does this align with me? Is this what I really want? Are there any red flags here? Does this feel good to me? And so I think it's really important to just take your time. And when you feel good and you're having fun, then you won't accept treatment that makes you feel any less than that. I love that. Have you read Miguel Ruiz's Mastery of Love? No, but I might have to now. <laughs> I definitely think you ought to. It's the same author as The Four Agreements. Oh, So it's that author. Yeah. And it's all about love and relationships. And one of the things that stuck out to me, I did not do this. It worked out anyway because there's like this core core value match. I feel like my husband and I are super, super different um, on the surface, but like completely the same on everything that matters, which has made yeah. big decisions super easy. Like I hear about marriages where they have a hard time deciding like where to buy a house or things like this. And we've never disagreed on anything besides like, what do we want to do for a day today? Oh, I don't want to do a yeah. day today. Things like that, like the small things. <laughs> yeah. So that worked out beautifully. But what he advises is to get in a relationship only with somebody who you don't want to change at all. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So I feel like as women, especially, we want to tinker. We want to upgrade everything. We want to upgrade ourselves, our life. And we do the same with our men. And not only does that make them feel, at least I can speak from experience, how it makes the men in my life feel. It makes them feel like insufficient. It makes them feel like not enough. It makes them feel not good enough because I'm constantly trying to change and upgrade you. I'm not good enough. 
as I am, right? It makes them feel like that, as well as it makes you unsatisfied. You're constantly looking for the problem to fix. And I'm speaking for myself, like that's how I grew up too, is in a household where problem solving was very empowering. Like I know how to solve a problem like that. However, I'm always looking for those problems to solve. So from that mindset, we just pick people apart, man, and then think that we can upgrade them. Yes. And that's that mothering energy. We want to fix, we want to help. And we're like, look at how amazing you'd be if you could just tweak these little changes. And it's really just, it's not fair because I know that I have been in relationships where men have wanted to change me and it didn't make me feel good. It made me feel very inadequate. And it's not like they were even saying it to my face, but in subtle, you know, body language and certain judgments, and it didn't make me feel good. And I've also been the woman who is like, oh, I see you have health issues, or I see that you have this issue. Here's what you can do. Here's a link for this. Here's skincare. Here's this, this, this. And it's like, oh my gosh, I'm mothering this person. And that mothering energy is it allows men to be more in their feminine. They get lazy because you are taking up all the masculine space because mothering as much as you think it would be feminine, it is actually masculine. And so that's how we start driving away healthy masculine men, or we get in relationship and the husband gets lazy or the, the partner gets lazy, um, because you're doing everything. One thing that I was thinking about this last night, have you ever watched the show? Everybody loves Raymond. No, I haven't. Oh my gosh. It is like the, the way that they portray the wife and the husband, the husband is very little boy ish. And Mm. the wife is very much like acting like his mother. And, um, the dynamic is just cringy for me to watch as a relationship coach. And, um, and it's, it's sad because a lot of the times, if you've noticed this in movies and in TV shows, the woman is portrayed as this, um, nagging hag or mothering energy. And the boy, the, the man is, um, is portrayed as this immature, incompetent little boy. And it's just so not the healthy dynamic that, that we really want for our relationships, but we see it so often. It's almost like it's a condition and we've probably seen our mothers parenting or our, our mother's mothering our fathers. And, um, you know, it's, we see that a lot, but what's really important is to recognize, like, we want to allow uh, a man to be in his masculine by not trying to change him. We trust that he's going to make good decisions for you, for the relationship, for himself. And when you don't trust him and you do nag him and you do try to change him, it makes all of that go out the window. Yes, absolutely. And the number of times I've done that, especially in my early relationships when I was a wee little teenager, mm-hmm. and I, I still, even then, because you said all that modeling, all that conditioning, I hear yeah. you on that. For me, the really uh, the example of that is Modern Family, I feel like, is a really mm-hmm. good one. But I also, yeah. like, I You're think it's in so many TV shows. <laughs> Anywho, I did that a lot with all my relationships, including the one I'm in, and I'm just like now stepped out of that, and it's been miraculous. Yeah. But... I also found that when we broke up, 
they would step up in all the ways that I desired. So they heard me the whole time, but that energy, being surrounded by that mothering energy prevented them from being able to step into that power and actually do something about it. Now that I've stopped nagging my husband about all the things I've always wanted, and that's not just ready me cute notes, like he started working out. And that's not something that was taught to him at all. Yeah, (laughs) it's like, it was very hard for him. And he finally stepping into that because he's finally feeling a little bit more confident now that I'm not constantly taking that power away from him. Yeah, totally. And I even remember being in a relationship once upon a time where, um, where the guy wanted me to work out more than I was and him wanting that and subconsciously putting that pressure on me or making little comments here and there, um, or the way that I ate. And then when I got out of that relationship, I started working out more and I started doing the things because I wanted to for me, but that pressure that he was putting on me didn't feel good. And it was almost that childlike resistance that you're like, well, you told me to, so I'm not going to. (laughs) Yes. When you give someone something to fight against, they will fight against it. Exactly. So I love that you brought up like accepting somebody for who they are, being with somebody that you have no desire to change. Like that's really powerful. And that leads to a really happy, fulfilling relationship on both sides. I love this, Morgan. This is so beautiful. Thank you so much for all of your freaking wisdom. You are such a powerhouse (laughs) of wealth and information and love. And oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. If you could give... If you could give the people listening to this right now one piece of advice in, in anything, whatever is on your heart today, whether it be relationships or inner child or anything else, what would it be? I would say, I mean, the biggest passion in my life is, is healing your relationship to yourself, doing for yourself what you wish others would do for you. And doing this, being that person for you will attract the money that you want, the relationship that you want, the friendships that you want, being that person for you, um, putting yourself first prioritizing yourself, meeting your own wants and needs, being playful with you, uh, being romantic with yourself, doing the things for you first, you filling up your cup and only giving from the overflow. That is the absolute best advice that I could ever give because that's going to change your life in all areas. You're going to be happier, more fulfilled than, than ever before. If you just do that. And it's not, it's not simple. It's not just a one thing, but it's, it's a lifestyle that we've got to practice and, um, really get comfortable in. And once you do that, I always say like, when you choose you, everything else falls into place. Ah, oh, 100%. Beautiful. Okay, Morgan, where can people find you? Are you offering anything right now that you would love people to come into? Where can people connect with you further after this? Absolutely. So I'm on Instagram, my Instagram handle, um, bear with me. It's <laughs> the underscore Morgan Danielle on Instagram and, um, on Facebook, I have a break the cycle Facebook group that you can come watch trainings, ask questions. I do Q and A's, um, very regularly in there. And then I also have my empowered Academy, which is a 16 week healing intensive program where we really dive deep into healing the root cause for our toxic relationship patterns and learn how to become that energetic match for healthy love. So thank you so much for having me on. This was such an epic conversation. My pleasure, Morgan. That sounds amazing. And thank you so much for being here. It was such a pleasure. 
Thank you for listening, my love. I'm so grateful for you. And I hope you took something powerful away from today's episode. If you haven't already, hit the follow button so you never miss a new episode. And if this episode felt valuable to you, go ahead and leave a five-star rating and review on the Apple podcast so that other children of God like you can find this podcast so we can reach more people. If we haven't met yet, I would love to meet you. Go over to my Instagram at Anna Empowers and say hi, send me a message. I'd love to chat with you. Also head over to my website at AnnaEmpowers.com to dive deeper and explore both free and paid offerings God has been pouring through me to serve you so that you can ditch those shackles of conditioning and your past and step deeper into the stewardship God has called you to. Remember that God holds all the power. He created us to lean on him, not to do it on our own. He created you wonderfully and beautifully as an integral piece of his kingdom here on earth. So steward your gifts with purpose. I love you so much and I'll see you in the next episode.